What's really good with higher ed these days, though? I think we should get into it. Let's go. Already with the foolery. Okay. Hi, y'all. Hi. I am so excited to have you two on here. And as you already know, this discussion is basically about, I haven't titled the episode yet, but it's basically going to be somewhere along the lines of the state of higher education in 2021. And I won't say America, but mostly <laughs> I'll say North America, right? Yeah. Um, so I will have each of you introduce yourselves. You do not have to uh, let the people know which institutions you work for. We're going to keep all that information private. And you don't have to say what your last name is <laughs> um, because this is a, you know, we're all professionals here. So we don't, they don't need to know all of that. But if you want to start, Jessica, and just share, you know, who you are, what you do. And then you can also include the side hustles in there as well. Shameless yeah. plugs. Yes. Uh, my name is Jessica. I am a high school college counselor um, at a private Catholic high school in the Los Angeles area in California. Um, so I work with uh, primarily junior and senior students as they're getting ready to apply and getting all their applications in order and the entire college process um, I help them with. And then in addition to mm -hmm. that, I am the owner and founder of Island Gal Fitness, uh, which is an apparel line for women to celebrate their um, their culture, their heritage, but also um, encourage and motivate fitness and a healthy lifestyle and active active life. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I'm Sai. I work in higher ed in Canada. So I work for a university. Specifically, I'm a recruitment officer. So my job is to work with Jessica's students to, <laughs> them, to, to, to teach them a little bit about the school that I work for and explore their options um, either at within my university within Canada. So I thought that it was going to be a nice conversation because we had Jessica, who's basically funneling the students to you, Sai, and then you dealing with them when they get there. And then on my end, it's uh, just dealing with them as a high school and from the from a registration uh, student information system perspective. So I was like, you know what? This is a good conversation. And it was sparked by um, a couple months ago when uh, it was announced that the student loan payments were going to be um, delayed again. And then I had this whole um, Instagram post and poll from followers asking them, you know, how they felt about education overall and how they felt about um, loans. And if they could do it all over again, would they go back to, would they go to college period or do they feel like they would have, taken another route or just went into um, the workforce, yeah. right, to save coins and, and make coins. But I think that there's there's definitely pros and cons of, of each of that. For me, I think that if I look back on, like, from high school, middle school, high school, university, the things that I enjoyed the most were kind of working with people, whether it was, like, tutoring or 
or doing presentations and and sort of like development work, I guess I would say. Like those were the things that I really enjoyed doing. So helping friends get through classes or whatever else that was. And so as I as once I graduated university and started going through you know different jobs and kind of seeing where I saw myself, private sector, public sector, um, whatever that is, I was like, okay, so what is the theme in my life of like things that have brought me joy? And it was helping people in like an educational setting. So that kind of is what brought me to education because like previously I've been a high school teacher. And then once I, once I sort of left the, um, I guess high school and sort of like teaching students, I was like, okay, what is another way that I can still be part of the educational sphere, but I don't have lesson planning to do. Mm -hmm. And that was, (laughs) uh, this job popped up, um, at my uh, alma mater and I was like, this is kind of cool. It kind of bridges my public speaking experience with like the love of working with high school students and kind of that guidance a little bit aspect of, you know, talking to them about like their hopes and their dreams and sort of what their path is. So it kind of brought together all of the different themes and elements and things that I love to do throughout my life. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Got it. Jessica? Yeah, mine was a little bit um, accidental, to be honest. Like I was in for-profit education for about 10 years um, where like I ran after school tutoring programs um, for students and um, I worked for a major a a few different major corporations who did test prep so I was I spent most of my days yes tutoring students and working with kids but also doing business doing sales talking with parents doing that type of interaction and it sort of naturally sort of transitioned to talking about um, colleges and what their path would look like and when an opportunity presented itself to work at at a high school on the high school side I took it you know because I didn't want to necessarily stay in sales and keep doing that business part but um, what I really have come to like about being a counselor and not a teacher is I still get that mm-hmm. that parent part. Like I like talking to adults. I like talking to kids too, but I like being able to do both. And especially where you have either students that are first generation or they come from in- immigrant families and their parents don't understand the the process of going to and applying to colleges. Like there's so much um, education and teaching that needs to happen on both sides. And so it's um, it's been good for me to be able to do that, um, plus addressing the mental health and especially for, for kids and students of color where mental health isn't always prioritized. Um, I, I, I am a mental health advocate on that side also. I can relate to that um, from my secondary school my secondary school director role, which was basically what you are doing now for your uh, 11th and 12th graders, but for clearly the lower level. So 7th and 8th graders that we're looking to go to um, independent boarding day schools or just I won't say independent, but selective uh, mm-hmm. boarding, boarding schools, day schools, uh, parochial schools. So and that was intense 
for them, right? So there was a whole common application that they did. And if the school yeah. didn't take the common application, then you had to, you know, you're guiding them through the individual mm-hmm. process, still dealing with um, families who are not familiar with the process, who came from, you know, different countries mm-hmm. and, and educating them. But, and so when I think about the process and then I think about COVID, it's like, okay, well, how has that, changed all of this because there's no more direct interviews. There's no more programming that, you know, kids are not doing their after school programs and all those things get cut out. So it's like, how do you now convince these schools that you are, you know, that you're a good fit for that program? And then how do you, how do you even go and visit the schools to look at it to see whether or not you like them or is, you know, is boarding an option for high school? Is boarding now an option for colleges? What does that, like, it has changed everything. So my first question is related to the topic is like, how has COVID-19's impact or how has COVID-19 impacted your, the college admissions process? And I think since, since the kids start with Jessica, like, what is that, what does that now look like for you over the past year and change? Mm-hmm. It 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 has changed, you know. <laughs> that's heavy, <laughs> but but here's the thing: what what's changed the most is um is like I, I mentioned earlier that mental health piece. So much of the dialogue is mm-hmm. calming the nerves, stepping off the ledge. Like everybody is so nervous and so much more uptight than in a quote normal year. Um, and so much of what I'm doing now is the reassurance to to trust the process, to know that it's going to work out um, because it has, you know, the, the kids that graduated last year are in college now. Some might be doing it remote, but some are on somebody's college campus across this country. Um, and so a lot of what what has changed is the different parts of the application are viewed differently before test scores were really important and now not so much for some some universities um kids are finding ways that if they can't you know play their their soccer tournaments you know year round or whatever they're they're being more creative with helping their family or doing other things they're they're finding their passions all over again um so i think it's forcing the students to really think outside of the box and not just go with, um, I'm the the MVP on my swim team or whatever, but I spent 40 hours with my grandmother making masks or cooking foods to distribute. Like it's, it's putting them in positions where they can still be contributing citizens to our society and they're not feeling like they, they don't have the, the qualities or the attributes that will get them into college like it has the getting to college piece mm-hmm. has not changed there are too many schools in this country um and international that if you want to go to college that part is still there covert or not Sai, what about on your end so the landscape of recruitment has changed in quite a few ways i guess the most obvious is i can't get on a plane and in person talk to students so that i used to spend I think at least like half the year 
um, in other countries. So in your lovely country of the U.S., that's uh, one of the areas that I cover, as well as um, various countries within sub-Saharan Africa, so pre predominantly East and West Africa. Um, so that's definitely changed in terms of not being able to physically like interface and sit down with students. Um, those meetings, um, instead of talking to, you know, a classroom of students, I'm now doing exactly what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. So one-to-one -one conversations a lot more. Um, I like the one-to-one because -one I actually get to like talk to the student. As Jessica was saying, there's a lot more of that counseling piece sort of built into what I'm doing, just reassuring them and sort of my job the way I interpret my job is to simplify those mm -hmm. processes mm -hmm. and those, you know, all that bureaucracy mm -hmm. and sort of all of that stuff. My job is to simplify that. That's how, that's the role that I take on. So in talking to those students that are anxious and not really knowing, you know, what either they don't know what the process is or the process has changed, I really take on that sort of that translation role. So that's where I spend a lot of my time and that's what I end up doing. Um, but on the, like the school side, I think, there has been, there's a lot more focus on um, your website, your your email strategy, like how do you reach students who are tired of sitting on Zoom calls yeah. mm -hmm. and how can you make the information digestible? Because previously you didn't really have to make it that digestible because you had people like myself going and sort of translating. But now students need to do the research themselves. You might not meet everyone um and so a lot more effort on streamlining the internal processes to make the application hopefully mm -hmm. um, more transparent and easier for students to navigate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got it um one thing that just touched on that i was like it should have been changed anyway was <laughs> was the whole standardized testing thing yes. i am so not a fan of of standardized testing and i feel like you know i've always felt like schools needed to find better ways of gauging whether or not a student was going to be a good fit for them because I, for one, am not a great test taker. So maybe that's just me projecting, but I'm just like, you know, there are other measures for you to determine that, especially um, ones that could be, for example, the school that I used to work at, we used to give our own assessment, right? We used to uh, create an assessment based off of the curriculum that we had, as opposed to like some standardized tests for that level, right? So so this is school specific. And so if you're able to do this work and keep up, then cool. But if I take an SSAT and I'm not, you know, I may not do well in this area, it doesn't mean that I'm not uh, equipped to be successful at your institution. You know what I mean? So like, what are the pros to it? And what are the negative uh, connotations to standardized testing? Um, there, there's not that much. In, uh, so the way that you all have, um, or I guess the level of standardized testing and the focus on standardized testing that we see in the US, we don't necessarily um, have that equivalent here. So for example, there are like standardized tests, ministry standardized tests, Ministry of Education, standardized tests that students do throughout like K through 12. Um, but I think the, I'm pretty sure, and it's been a while since I've been ingrained in like the local curriculum because I work with international students, but I'm pretty sure the last test is a literacy test and it's in grade 10. After that, like there's no standardized test for you to leave um, school. Mm. Or high school. Mm -hmm. So our, our domestic admissions, so for um, I'm in the province of Ontario. So say for the province of Ontario, I used to work with domestic students. So like 
if I'm working with a, high, a grade 12 in high school, I can tell them, like, we're going to be looking for your top six grade 12 university level courses. So we look at the average from those. Not, I'm not talking about tests with them because they don't have tests for us to rely on. I'm literally telling them where their average should be in their best six classes because they have eight classes they can take. So their best six classes um, in their final year. Mm -hmm. Just to give you some context of sort of what that looks like within within Canada and within like the province of Ontario. You know, to directly answer your, your question, Shaw, when you asked about the pros and the cons, the positives and the negatives, I don't think there's any positives, to be honest. Like, the, if, if, someone, <laughs> <laughs> if someone wants to view this as a positive, which is, well, there might be a university or a scholarship out there that requires a test score, so go on ahead and take it because now you could be eligible to apply for that scholarship or to apply to that institution. If you want to view that as a positive, that's on you. Because my view is mm -hmm. we're still in a pandemic, you know? So if an institution is going to put you in a position where you have to now fly out of state or, you know, cross state lines just to take a test and put your, your life and the health of your family at risk, like, is that really a place that you yeah. want to be? Like, this is essentially what they're asking you to do. Is, is, that, is that really what, what you want to consider for your, your four years of undergraduate school? So um, I don't really see a positive to testing. Um, the 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 cons really are you know kids are kids are nervous about taking these exams it's it's four hours on a saturday that quite honestly they could be spending doing their schoolwork doing their grades um work, working on their grades <laughs> um some of them need to catch up on their sleep even though this is still pandemic time some of these kids are very overworked and their schedules are impacted some need a day perhaps to to sleep in so um, other than those, those few and far, be far between schools that still are requiring testing right now, um, I, I can't think of a, a pro or a positive in, in, in these exams. Yeah. I have a question about that. So are you seeing, and maybe this is something we won't see for another year or two, but for those schools that are still requiring testing in a pandemic and haven't pivoted or changed or any of those things, are they seeing a reduction in enrollment and application numbers and things like that? Because that's a barrier in this sense, right? Because if a kid has to, I didn't even think of that. If a kid has to cross mm -hmm. state lines, right, to be able to take the test that you probably shouldn't be requiring them to do anyway, in a, you know, panorama, like you should be able, like I'm wondering if that then impacts their bottom line. Yeah. Um, because I would think it would, unless the kids just, it's a school that they really want to go to anyway, and they just kind of adapt. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the interesting part with that. The majority of universities in the country, the ones that were either test optional or test blind, meaning they were not viewing test scores at all, even if you submitted it, was not part of the application process. The majority of those colleges saw a huge uptick in the number of applications, some as much as 20 to 30% of a jump in the number of, of applications. And then really the only place where they were still requiring test scores last year were some 
of the historically black colleges and universities. Some of the HBCUs were just real slow to come around. Um, and then the public universities in the state of Florida. So we were all like, well, Florida is gonna hurt. The, the Department of Ed in the state of Florida is gonna hurt because they're still requiring test scores. They're no longer going to get students from outside of Florida to apply. None of our kids applied. And in the past they would have. So now just this week, actually, they actually saw an increase. But instead of it being where majority of the other schools were, you know, 20, 30, 40%, they had like a 6% increase, you know? So, but I think as a whole, students across the country in general applied to more schools. Those students in state in Florida, they likely just applied to more of the in-state schools, which caused an increase, but not the amount of an increase that the rest of the schools in the country were seeing, you know? So we thought it would hurt them, but, you know, we'll see. It didn't, sadly. Yeah, maybe it'll take a few more years of that impact because mm -hmm. we have like in-state and out-of-state tuition, right? So there's right. still a reduction in sort of what they, like the amounts they can charge because, you know, a kid coming right. from New York going to Florida is going to pay a different price. So mm -hmm. it might take a few years more impact Mm -hmm. for them to, you know, maybe um, feel that. adjust their their admissions requirements. Because like, even when you were saying, you were like, um, there are some schools that still require test scores for like scholarships and things like that. To me, that then sounds like, you know, it's, it's a system overhaul kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it needs to be like the testing system and, and like th that those mechanisms, which is a lot of money, generates a lot of money, right? right? those things then need to go because just because you change your admissions processes that's great and all but like we all know that it's a holistic process for students they're not just looking at okay where did i get in but they're also yeah. looking at what scholarships was i offered right. what other right. things can the school offer like they're not just looking at one thing they're looking at a whole mm -hmm. like plethora of of, of different uh, factors right when they're choosing mm -hmm. their school so it's great and all that for admissions, y'all made it test optional or test blind or whatever the term is. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm considering five different things and you haven't changed the scholarship requirement yet. Exactly. So I can't go to your school. So exactly. it might take a little bit longer um, for that for that impact to be felt. So. Uh, they don't have to commit to their university until May 1st. And so even though the universities, you know, they received a higher number of applications, what's the actual enrollment piece going to look like and those numbers could be down mm -hmm. so we won't know that for another month or so um we're all around um the same age and so i want to kind of pivot the conversation and talk about to really talk about like higher learning versus the workforce um i i think it's safe to say that our generation or uh, our parents were very much like college wasn't an option, like you're going, right? Like higher education is not an option, you're going. Um, and many of us, many of people in my generation are first generation people to go to college. Um, but now there seems to be so many options for life post high school, right? A lot of students, you have students who opt out for a year, right, who take a, a gap year. You have students who decide, you know, I don't want to go to college or I just want to go to community college. Um, and then people who just want to jump into the workforce. And that may have seemed crazy or 
um, may have been looked down upon in the past, but now it's like, no, I respect your decision, especially if you have a solid plan. Now that I'm kind of pondering, looking back at life and looking back at choices and looking at these bills from Sally Mae or Navient, um, and just being like, you know what, if I, if I had to do it all again, what would I change? And do I really need to go? Um, you know, and especially with all these side hustles popping up. So I, I want to have the conversation. Do, did you experience something similar with your family? Did you feel the pressure to go to college? Did you not want to go? Did you want to go? Um, what were your thoughts surrounding that? And, and how would that change? And I think my next question, sorry, I'm all over the place. But for you, Jess, when you get to your answer, when you, yeah. What do you have students that are like, no, nah, I don't want to go. Right. So. I'll start with Sai. That was a lot, but. I think I've gleaned the, the gist of what you're asking. So I think I should, <laughs> I should be able to remember it. <laughs> um, so if I'm talking about like my trajectory, like my personality, um, especially in high school was just what's next. So I don't think there was that much consideration of, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I have an A in accounting. I'm really good at accounting. I'd probably like to work in business. Guess what I'm applying to? Business. Okay, great. Like that was my mentality. I still have a lot of that built in, but now I take pauses and I actually, you know, think about what I want to do. But when in high school, it was very much, I was like, okay, so I'm in high school. Next is college. Great. So let's figure out where we're applying. Great. Done. Okay. Next. Like that was the momentum, not really too much of a pause. And my mom, similar to what you were saying, Shaw, like, I don't think we had a conversation about, <laughs> I think it was just like, okay, where are you going? Like it yeah. was, <laughs> and so, and I was like, yeah, of course, where am I going? Like I didn't really buck up against that. So um, that was what I did throughout my, like going into university. But even with the students that I work with now, um, I think that what they get stuck in now is, is the idea of just like, what's just going to make me money, which I don't think is dissimilar to what, you know, were the considerations for students before. But that's why you see like a boost in computer science applications and computer engineering applications because they see sort of the world we live in, literally what we're doing right now and sort of see, you know, with coding and crypto and all that kind of stuff, like they want to get into that. And so their parents are telling them they have to go to school. So they're like, well, I'm going to go to school for this because it's what I, you know, it's probably going to make me money down the line and it's kind of cool. So that's some of the shifting that I'm seeing or just sort of, I find picking their industries a little bit better. Um, or maybe a little bit more thought towards the industry or the program that they want to get into. I think like the majority of, or I think I saw the biggest boost in students considering gap years during COVID, right? Because they got into a school, then COVID hit, schools went remote and they were like, whoa. And mm -hmm. I think that might've been one of the first like pauses that they had had to actually think that going to university right now is actually not something I want to do. Like they hadn't had that thought before. And so I feel like, as we continue with the next couple of cycles, we call them cycles, the next couple of years, mm -hmm. um, that I'm gonna have more students that are probably gonna be thinking about actually weighing their options of, do I want to go to university right now? Because the grade 12s before them had to do that pause, which meant they had to do that pause, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking it's gonna, for me, for the students I work with, I think it's gonna be a couple of years 
until I see an influx of like students taking more of those gap years or going to trade school or just like being like, I need to just step away and figure out what I want to do. I'm not just going to automatically go into engineering because mom says I should go into engineering. Right. Yeah. I would say my path was fairly similar. Um, and I think, you know, for, for all of us here where we have uh, immigrant parents and perhaps their path was a little bit different. They got out of uh, school and went straight into work, you know. Um, but definitely for me growing up, it, there wasn't a, there wasn't like a heavy push or influence to go to college. It was just, it was like, that was just the natural next step. Like, I didn't feel like I needed that influence. I just mm-hmm. knew well, well, yes, like I have, I have to go to school. Like that's, 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 that's what I'm going to do. So, so for me, it was very just natural and organic to keep that momentum going. Um, And the only reason why I really, really fall on the border of, you know, where's that value at this point was because I, I I went to school, got my bachelor's degree, did all of that. um, But I, but I stopped there. I didn't continue on for, for a master's or any um, any higher level degrees until very recently. And I, I did see, especially as I got further into my career and it was then 10 years out, 15 years out. And you know when you start looking for jobs and you still only have that bachelor's degree, in, it seems like in today's day and age, the bachelor's degree is the equivalent of the high school diploma now. You know, it, it becomes challenging mm-hmm. sometimes depending on your industry and your field of work becomes very challenging to to get a job without that master's. Um, I haven't quite figured out why, you know, but but that seems to be the case. Um, and so the, the school that I work at now, we are a college prep school, but, you know, I won't say that we're an elite, you know, highfalutin type of school, but we are college prep. So... The majority of students, I'd say about 85% of our seniors do matriculate to a four-year institution after graduation. Um, with that said, though, in recent years, co- college is costly. The cost of living is expensive, whether you're in-state, out-of-state, whatever. It is just expensive to breathe these days, you know? So I I don't push yeah. my students as much to go for the four-year uh, institution if that is truly not what is calling them. And I don't feel guilty about it either. Before, I did feel that pressure of, you got to go to college, you got to go to school, let's look at these schools. Now I put it out there of, look, let's let's explore the options in case you want to take one of these paths. But at the end of the day, come April and May the following year, you pick what you want to do. You decide. Um and I have a lot of kids who are, you know, working actors. They're they're in the field. They're they're musicians. They they they're in the studio. You know, when when I have those kids who, yeah, they're probably gonna be okay without going to college. Like I just let them do it. Like they're, I'm a firm believer that there's so many paths to get to this cult success that they don't have to go to a university, especially if yes already perfecting their craft and they have things lined up. So I, I support, I think our youth, they, they need support more than anything. Um, they don't need somebody telling them what to do that's against their, you know, what where their heart and where their passions truly lie. So 
I encourage, but at the end of the day, I just support. I want to, uh, I feel like clapping right now. Like I'm probably going to put like the audience <laughs> <laughs> effect for this. Yeah, no, that is a hundred percent what students need to hear and what like they need to, to see. Yeah. That kind of perspective is what needs to be modeled by like everyone, people in my profession included. Yeah. I, and, and I think parents as well. So it honestly, first of all, it reminds me of Sister Act 2, right? And I think mm-hmm. every every creative yes. student, every creative person is looking for that. And, and when I think back to my process, I didn't really want to go to school for... Um, I mean, I did and I didn't. Like, I chose... When I applied to my school, I applied for fashion design and uh, forensic science. Fashion design, yeah, I know. And I was just like, oh, I can just do this double thing. I love it. It sounded great, right? Very ambitious. And and they ended up, like, tossing... They ended up scratching or or, uh, doing away with the the forensic... the Sorry, the fashion design program. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to do this. But my heart wanted to do something creative, but I knew that, or I felt like number one, my mother, my mother wasn't going to go for that creative, um, you know, discipline. And number two, it, it was probably going to be a struggle for me to fund, you know, to, for me to support myself. Right. Like I did, it, it was going to be hard. It was going to be competitive, but then it was also going to be uh, not a big money maker, Right. And it would probably take years for me to, to to benefit from from that that field financially so there's a lot a couple of things that you said so yes it reminded me of sister act two and 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 the struggle for creatives and and getting people to to respect and appreciate and support you through that process of what you want but also to the point that you made about the bachelors would be basically bringing the new the new diploma um there is that but I think there's also, thankfully, companies um, throwing out Google as an example who are yeah. now not requiring degrees yeah. for um, some positions. And so there's the Coursellas and there are the there are certificate courses that mm-hmm. and programs that they're allowing people to take who may not have experience in that area mm-hmm. to now be able to profit from and not necessarily, and not having it be an entry level position, you know? So I think those are on the rise, especially with the pandemic and, and everything that's happening. So I think that is taking place, but I, I just always felt like it shouldn't be based on sure. Education helps. Right. But it should be based on whether or not I'm able to fulfill the duties and responsibilities regardless of my education or experience. Like if that's one of the things that I I respected about independent schools is that whatever independent school I was at, like there was a teacher teaching, you know, science or whatever and they don't have a they don't have a teaching cert, but they have all of this experience mm-hmm. in the field all this hands-on stuff that they can can relate to the students. But yet public institutions are requiring this four-year degree plus this experience. And then for you to get in the classroom to teach this textbook stuff and you don't have experience in the field, but yet you're getting paid more than mm-hmm. the teachers that do have experience. So it's just like, that's mm-hmm. always been my beef with public 
um, education and trying to, I just feel like they lock out so many Mm -hmm. great candidates because of the search. You know, like, you know, it's like the standardized testing conversation that we were just having, right? So because you don't have this thing, you mm-hmm. can't do this. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I can still I can still serve students based on what I have. Just because I don't have this piece of paper doesn't mean that I'm not qualified or, or doesn't mean that I can't gain the exp- sorry, I'm ranting because I'm just really annoyed by mm-hmm. <laughs> by all of mm-hmm. by all of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's that. No, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. I definitely hear you on on that part about um, requiring a cert, like I see it multiple ways because like I having gone through at least certification here, um, I think there are some important things that one learns in terms of just how to structure a lesson, like stuff like that, but that's stuff yeah. that can be in like a Coursera. Yeah. doesn't right. have to yeah. be, you know what I mean? That can be a workshop. That doesn't need to be a full year type thing. And, and, I, and I see examples of, you know, having visited multiple schools, um, in multiple countries, it's like I've seen those that hold certs, and I'm like, eh, <laughs> okay, like you know what I mean. I'm like, maybe you, you know, just take a break for a minute and come back. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but then I've seen some like on the other side where it's that they don't. And I'm like, you could benefit from just a week, yes, just a, just, you know, just a week, nothing to, not, not a barrier to entry, but a PD. You know what I mean? Like, not a barrier, but just you know, let's just enhance the skill. How about that? So I, I, and I think it's just, yeah, we get caught in that, like, and that's funny coming from me because I'm very rigid in my thinking, but like coming from that very like rigid, like this step one, step two, step three, now you're a teacher, go teach. Right. And it's not really it. There's multiple pathways able to get to the same destination. And I think like, that's probably a lot of what Jessica talks about with her students, but there's multiple ways to get where you want to go. There's not mm-hmm. just one. And there are times, depending on the student I'm ta- I talk to, where we have those conversations as well. I'm like, okay, I know you came to me talking that you wanted to go to, you know, university and this is what you want to do. I'm like, but do you need to? Like, you know, like, do you need to? And sometimes having those conversations coming from the person that is supposed to be recruiting you into a school, not from mom and dad or from whatever, it helps to have them pause to be like, oh, so you're telling me maybe I don't have to. Okay, so maybe I don't have to, you know what I mean? And it's just a matter of really like getting to know the students and just kind of being like, FYI, you could do this Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, in a year instead of four, if you, you know, look at that option, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe. But those kinds of conversations about there's so many different ways to get where you want to go. And there's so many different ways to get into, you know, that you should be, get into teaching or whatever the industry is, fashion, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't always explore those other avenues. We just kind of go A plus B equals C and just repeat. What that made me think of what you just said was my undergrad experience versus my grad experience. When you go to college, you're not jumping into your major, right? You got to take all these core classes first that are uninteresting And that honestly just sucked the life out of you. Like, I don't want to have to take math. I don't want to have to. I mean, I've I've done this math in, 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 you know, high school. What does this have to do with my major? Or why should I have to take? You know what I mean? Like the fun things came with the electives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so grad school for me, because every single class was was targeted to what I was doing at the time in the schools, but also what I wanted to do. And like, I could literally, whatever I learned in class that day, I could take and, Mm -hmm. and implement it on the, on, in the job the next day. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like the the stuff with college, I'm like, you know, you guys are not making a good case because 
Like I'm to the point where like if my future child decides that, you know what, mom, I don't want to, I don't think I want to go. And I'm like, as long as we sit up here and we have a plan and you explain to me what the route that you want to take and what your, your plan is, then I'm, I would be totally fine with that because then I wouldn't have to pay for it, of course. But you know, you're not, just think about all the people who have switched careers, self-included, haven't done it yet, but that's something that I'm thinking about, you know, down the line. But I just feel like it, there's so much, so many funds that could be saved and and lives that could be changed if things were just a little bit yeah. different, you know? Well, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting you mentioned that because, um, you know, I have a good amount of students that are interested in schools in the UK. And the UK system is very much mm-hmm. like that. You jump right in. You like it is very hard to change mm-hmm. your major. You can't come in undecided. You need to know exactly what you want to do. Um, there's none of this. Maybe I want to do business. Yeah. Maybe I want to do dentistry. You better come in prepared to do business. Um, and their programs are three mm. years because they're so targeted. They're very specific mm-hmm. and major driven. But then the pitfall is well, the UK schools are still requiring test scores. You know, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, it's such a, a catch 22, you know, um, but mm-hmm. I, I feel sometimes like these poor kids can't win for losing, you know, you have to just sort of be prepared to roll with the flow. Cause I don't think the U S uh, university system will change much to accommodate that. But, um, that's why, mm-hmm. that's why it's important to have those passions so that if you have to take a Spanish class your first year and you're an English major, you know, you, you might just have to roll with it. And that's something that when I um, actually just last week talking to a lot of uh, U.S. students and a lot of my U.S. students apply to my school undeclared arts, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're used to being able to like, I don't, like I have to choose. Like I have to, I have to know what I want to do yet. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. I want to come into the school and then I want to figure that out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fun but I don't really have those options for you. So you kind of have to figure out, like there's a good and a bad side to it. Yeah. The good is that is that like the minute you step into the school, you're taking these, cl- like you are, I say when you apply to business, the day one, you're a business student. Yes. The way you're taking classes looks nothing like the way a chemistry student is taking yeah. classes. I'm like, that's a pro and a con. It means you need to do a lot more research and work ahead of time. You can't just kind of show up and figure it out. Um, but like, it also means that you're going to hit the ground running in mm-hmm. terms of the classes you're going to take mm-hmm. and you're not going to be forced to sit through chem mm-hmm. and math if you're a fashion student, mm-hmm. right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. so I don't have to sit through. I'm like, no, why would you do that? I'm like, if I had to do that, I would have failed. Like, I don't yeah. do biology and chemistry. I don't do any of that. So like, it's like, those are literally all the conversations I was having last week. It was the fact that, like, no, you can't just show up and figure it out. But then also there's a pro side to that of that you're going to be this, you know, ex-student yeah. from the minute you walk into the school. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of my American students, they still will apply because there's, like, one or two little undeclared options within a specific faculty. So they'll still, instead of choosing psychology, they'll be like, no, I don't want to decide now. But I know I kind of want to be in this area, but I don't want to decide now. And that's part of the... I guess the the culture, right? Cultural differences mm-hmm. between different different countries mm-hmm. um, and regions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just really interesting you mentioned that because I'm like that was what I spent all last week talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? So I guess to wrap up, if each of you 
let me see. Uh, j- drop three gems, like three recommendations for uh, students and families heading into the process. So just just first, and then Sai, like what what are three tips that you would give to? And I feel like we just dropped some gems, but in addition to whatever we might have just said, you know, what are things that you would recommend that people do? before, um, I guess, starting the process, especially in this in this time? Um, the first gem, I would say, trust the process. Like, it really is a process. It is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Trust the entire process. Um, the second would be communicate and be open and honest about finances and what is affordable and what is not affordable, both parent to student and student to parent. Um, the the third would be, it goes quick. So don't neglect the the fun things in your life. Um, you know, mm. make, time, make time to in, enjoy just life because high school and the, and the application and the college process, it does go by fairly quickly, even though it seems stressful and it seems arduous, it is, it is fast, so find Find the downtime to, to enjoy milk and cookies with each other or tea and bread or whatever. Um, I guess those are really good. I guess my three would be, um, I guess the first would be don't downplay the social aspect of whatever school you go to. So if you're, if you're talking to, you know, searching on websites or talking to recruiters or whatever it is that you're doing, look at that social aspect. Look at the student body, look at the clubs, associations, the things that they have, because going to class and going home is not going to serve you. And that's probably only going to be about 30% of your school experience anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, The tribe that you build, the groups you get involved with, that's where you build your connections and connections are what's really going to get you a job. Mm -hmm. So look at the associations, look at the student body, like jump in. Now everything's virtual. So you can literally hop mm-hmm. into like a, in a student session or whatever it is, right? You can really get, a, get a, a good view of that. So that'd be number one. Number two, and this might be dependent on, well, this is dependent on, I guess, the program or the, the career you're looking for in, in the end. But I tell students like, don't get caught up in minors. Um, I've had about six or seven jobs. Nobody's ever asked me what my minor was. Right. So I tell them like, take if you have electives that you get to take, don't worry about building those up to a minor. Nobody's really going to care. Take the classes you want to take yeah. because those are the classes that might end up changing your trajectory because you you know are exposed to something totally different. Or they're going to be the classes you'll do you'll probably do well in because those are the ones you really like and get to choose. Or like they'll help supplement what you're already taking as your major. So don't get caught up in building a minor. Forget that. Just take the classes you want. Um, and then the third is I always tell students to reverse engineer their degree. So a lot of students want to go into medicine. I'm like, okay, great. So start from being a doctor. Look look at what your med what those requirements are. Make sure the med schools that you want to apply to or that you're kind of considering are meeting that requirement. Once you kind of shortlist what kind of med schools you want to go to, make sure the undergraduate degree is going to get you into those schools. Mm-hmm. And for the undergrad, make sure the high school classes you're taking can get you into that. Mm-hmm. Right. So fully reverse engineer what your end goal is because I hate it and it hurts my heart so much when a student, especially if like they're a transfer student that have gone through high school and college, then maybe they've come from another university and want to transfer over to mine. And I have to be like, I am so sorry. Like what you've taken previously for the last six years is not going to get you into this program that's going to get you into something else. Like that breaks my heart on multiple 
levels and I just want to give them everything I can. So I'm just like, that's one of the only things or one of the main things I tell all my students, I don't care if you're in grade nine, grade 12, I don't care. Reverse engineer where you think yeah. you want to be. If you change yeah. that later, great, but at least you're on a path to prepare yourself to get somewhere in the shortest amount of time possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, good tips. Good tips. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I like that. I like the whole reverse engineering thing because it's true. And then it also helps them to decide whether or not they want to continue that route when you have to Hello. realize how long, right? right? Something well, like that takes. Especially medicine. All my yeah, absolutely. US students want to go into medicine and I'm like, okay, so let's sit down the timeline. Do you have a decade to give? Do you? If you do, great. Start with your reverse engineering. Uh-huh. But do you have a decade to spare? Yeah. And you do because you're young. But I just want to like, hit you with that real quick mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you, if, if it doesn't make you kind of like oh no then let's keep going yeah mm-hmm. yes but you know what? we're gonna stop happy. right here uh, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much ladies for i'm gonna edit that part out um but no thank you so much ladies for joining me on this episode i can't wait to post it enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much for joining me thank you thank you welcome